<sighs> that feel better? Some of us just lost some spiritual weight. Praise the Lord. I just feel so much lighter in my spirit right now. It's really good. Anyways, um, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Andrew. I'm the pastor of the church here with my wife, Rebecca, a beautiful lady that was singing. We're just really excited to have you here. I want you to feel super welcome. Um, let's just jump straight into the announcements. Today is First Fruit Sunday, and we're going to give our first fruits to God. And I'm going to teach a little bit about, on that first so we fully understand what exactly this first fruits thing is, because it's nothing worse than doing something because it's the thing to do. It's actually really important to fully understand why God does certain things and how it affects our lives and how our obedience will cause breakthrough in our personal lives. Thank you, Jesus. Second book of Timothy, and we're going to start in chapter 2. Thank you, God. We're going to start in chapter 2 and verse 4. No one engaged in warfare, no soldier, no one enlisted, no one inscripted, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So no one, having connected, covenanted with God, no one having dedicated their life to Jesus, asked him to come in and fill their life, and promised the balance of their life to Jesus is going to entangle themselves with things that are contrary. No one's going to do anything where it's like, you know what, I'm just going to start engaging with stuff that's conflict of interest stuff so that I can just be a blowout. I mean, who who would ever want to do that? Who would ever want to sign up for the kingdom and then, you know, totally back out while pretending to be part of the kingdom but actually acting out with stuff that's completely contrary? Does this make sense? That's the definition of hypocrisy. Okay, some of you guys going, oh God, what's going on? Because we're talking about first fruits. Yeah, I am. The point is, here, look at this. I just want to back up to the last part of this chapter 2, verse 4 verse. So no one that has registered with the contingent of heaven is going to, at least at serious, is going to intentionally also then at the same time engage with stuff that's going to slow them down. That's going to entangle them and it's going to be a contradiction. Does this make sense? So that... He may or she may please him who enlisted them. So I can tell you right now that it wasn't a pastor that enlisted you. It wasn't some other zealous Christian. It was actually the Spirit of God that came and convicted you. Because without the Spirit of God, you'll never know conviction. Without conviction, you'll never recognize your need. Without recognizing your need, you can't acknowledge the Savior. Without acknowledging the Savior, you can't accept him. Does this make sense? So it is God that enlisted you. It's God that came and got your attention and pulled you forward and said, hey, I have my mark on you. I have a call of God on your life and it's time for you to give all because I gave all, right? We're all agreed. So then we must walk in such a way that pleases God. Are we agreed? So everything that we do actually is not about our reasoning anymore. It's not about what we think. It's actually about what God thinks. Are we agreed? Can you see how I've just trapped everyone in this room? Okay, awesome. (laughs) I like to build cases because sometimes we need to build cases to dismantle our reasoning and our belief systems that have actually been built that are not right. We have to actually get this book to dismantle us because actually, naturally, the heart of man is very rebellious and it fights God and it starts to try and build a case in our mind. The Bible says there is a way that seems good to a man, but the end leads to destruction, 
right? So we build things that to us seem good and well in the moment, but in the long term, it's like, man, that really didn't pay off. Ever had that mistake before? Because I have. I've had a lot of those mistakes where I've like said, yeah, hey, you know what? This is a really good idea. And then it was like, hashtag, seem good in the moment. <laughs> seem good at the time, hashtag, right? And so I want to just get into this right now because there is actually a responsibility that we each have to please the Father. Everything that Jesus did, he did to please the Father. And not everything that Jesus did was pleasant, but it was all to please the Father. Okay, so with that in mind, I just wanted to start with that scripture. Come with me, please, to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to go on a little scriptural trail. Is that all right? Awesome. Genesis chapter 4. A little spirit of Cain blow out. So Genesis 4 verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife. Now that wasn't just in the, uh, hey, we're friends connotation, okay? We're all adults here. Uh, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought forth an offering to the Lord of fruit from the ground. It's really important to understand here, the next thing I want to destroy in my little building of cases is that, you know, us quote-unquote modern Christians, I just feel like my whole life is just at war with modern Christianity because we actually need to get back to the kingdom so that we can please a father that has enlisted us, okay? So that when I say modern Christianity, I'm talking about the thing that we've made it, not the thing that God called it, okay? So please understand the difference. I don't hate the church. I love the church, but I want what God wants. Amen. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means I'm on a journey. Okay. So something that we really need to understand is a lot of people in modern quote unquote Christianity that say, well, since Jesus came, Jesus was the offering and now we don't need to give to God anymore. True. You ever heard that before? It's a big thing out there. People, people like to talk about it. Um, can anyone please answer me? Was this time when Cain and Abel were born, was it before or after the law? Before the law. So it was before Moses was given the law of all the Ten Commandments. It was before Moses and Joshua were given the Levitical laws, right? Where the priests had to do certain offerings. It was before all of the stuff that God requested. So that means that this was done out of relationship. And it's outside the law, which means it's above it. Which means it precedes everything that Cain and Abel did and Adam and Eve did. And it also exceeds past what Jesus satisfied at the cross. Hello. I just need to deal with this right now so we can get on the page so that each one of us can step into greater levels of the blessing covenant with our relationship with God so that we can please him on a greater level and then subsequently so that he can bless us on a greater level. Amen. This isn't designed to take away from you. It's designed to add to your life. Okay. So verse 3, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit from the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the first fruits, sorry, the firstborn, which is also the first fruits. I guess you could say Cain brought the first fruit and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock from their fat, of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Stop right there. So before the law... Before God ever said, you need to give me a tithe, before he ever said, you need to give me an offering, this was happening. Now, do you notice that there was no visitation from God around the fact that, like, hey, you need to give me an offering? Do you notice that? 
there's Adam and Eve in the garden, and then there's Adam and Eve outside the garden, and then there's Adam and Eve having Cain and Abel, and then Cain and Abel having an offering. First thing they do, do you notice that? So what's happening here is Cain and Abel are raised being told about the nature of God by Adam and Eve who had lived it firsthand in the garden. Does this make sense? And Cain and Abel did something that they knew God liked in relationship. Because that's the only God that Adam and Eve knew. They spent years probably in the Garden of Eden in uninterrupted covenant relationship on a level that we don't even can fathom yet. It was probably on a whole other level above because the second that they lost the presence of God and the glory, the Bible says that they realized they were naked. So there was obviously a whole other level of life being lived in that garden. Okay? And they understood the nature of God even after they left. So there was something about that that was then translated to Cain and Abel, and Cain and Abel knew what God liked. Okay. So then we see two sons bringing two different offerings and God only accepting one. Because there's an offering that pleases God and there's an offering that God can't accept. Let me, let me put it to you like this. I've personally never had a connection with a vegetable. I've never felt any emotion towards it. When I was a kid, I personally didn't like them. Can any of you relate? When I was a kid, like, you know, we were around animals, and I even had, like, some little pet, like, animals. So we had little, little rabbits, and I think even one point we had a goat. didn't last long, but we had a goat. And we had chickens and stuff like that. And it's very easy to become attached to an animal because they are a living, breathing animal. And they have, like, little personalities or whatever, you know. And so there's something where there's that, that's a precious thing that you're connected to, especially the, the best lamb in the, in the flock, that's the cutest lamb in the flock, by the way. And it's the one that just looks like a little perfect little thing. You know, it's like, you guys ever seen little baby lambs running around? They're pretty cute. Okay, it doesn't say that he brought one of the old ones that was going to die anyways. Hello. There's a lot of the times we give to God stuff that was going to die anyways. A lot of times we come with our vegetables, stuff that we're not even connected to. And God doesn't receive that. But he wants the thing that is precious. God is after something. Look, God doesn't need your lamb. You don't need to go out to Riverside and try and find a farmer with, with you know, a couple of sheep and show up to here and say, like, here's, my, here's my offer. That's not what's going on here. You can't put that in some kind of teleporter thing and like beam it up to heaven and God's like, oh, praise God. They will praise myself. And <laughs> do, you get, do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> you actually are touching God's heart by giving him something that is attached to yours. And this is the difference where a lot of people don't understand. See, it's our job to please the one that enlisted us, not just satisfy a list of chores. This is, what, this is the separation between religion and relationship. A list of chores and striving or an intimate act of sacrifice. Does that make sense? And so Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, the best one he could find, the spotless one. And he's like, man, I'm a farmer. And this, the, like, if you go to, like, let's, let's just kind of bring it into something we can understand a little better. If you go to a horse breeding, a particularly a racehorse breeding station or a ranch in this country, and you actually find the best racehorse, like, you know, they made that movie Secretariat, 
like Secretariat had kids, I think. And the value of that animal is incredible. Needless to say, because it was an award-winning, like multi-race winning horse, right? Everyone knows that. So to bring God, the firstborn of that animal, is bringing something of great worth because you're not just bringing something of a monetary value or a couple of zucchinis. You're actually, you're actually bringing something of future worth. Does that make sense? He's bringing the firstborn of his flock, which is usually, and if you understand farming, you understand about the healthy gene pool, and you understand about actually really good quality animals, and you want to find the best ones and use them for breeding. Does that make sense? God looks at Abel and he goes, this thing here, I can accept this. But he looks over at Cain, who was taught, he was the firstborn too, so he had that firstborn kind of entitlement. He looks at Cain, and he's like, Cain has decided what he wants to do. He didn't give me what he knows I want. He knows that I want to have the best place. See, the Bible says that God's a jealous God, and God's definitely not playing about that statement. He very much so wants to be number one in your life. And God, you'll actually find, if you've ever been in a relationship that wasn't healthy, if you start worshipping that other person in your relationship, God will actually let that idol fall on you. And it sucks. You know why? Because God literally jealously will be pursuing being your number one. Right? So, you know, in the same way, God offerings to God are actually more about us coming into a position of humility and honor at the same time, like I mentioned a little earlier. But also fulfilling a thing where, like, like I've said this before in church, and I'm going to say it again because we need to hear it. Does God need your money? God doesn't need your money. There is no rent in heaven. He does not need to go down to, you know, the heaven location of in and out and say, hey, could I please have a double-double with gold rings? He doesn't need to do that. He has everything. It all belongs to him anyways. Everything that you have is just a, you're a steward of. So you don't own as much as you think you own. You're a, you're a caretaker of what you think you have. And the problem is, is that we start to believe that what we have is ours, and that's when we start worshipping something that we shouldn't. And it's very easy to do that. I, I, you know, you just take your guard off for a little bit and you just, it'll wake up and a couple of weeks later it's like, man, I'm done well. Oh, no, I haven't. It's not me. That's when you need to talk back to yourself once in a while. Okay, and just convince the world you're a little crazy. You need to do it. So, so with that, I just want to build this case here because it's really important we understand where this is going. So there is a good offering and there is an offering and that, that God will accept and honor, and there is a wrong offering that God will reject. Now, interestingly enough, watch this. So Cain was upset, verse 5, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your countenance fall? In verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door, for its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. God is such a redemptive God that he actually came to Cain and he's like, hey, just do what's right and I'll accept you. So there's no click. There's no, you know, goody two-shoes kids club in in the house of God. There's just those that want to give what's right and those that don't. And, you know, if you don't, then that's a problem. And it's not a problem of your will. It's a problem of your intimacy. Because when you're in love with someone, you have no problem giving them everything. Let that sink in. And if you're in love with God, you'll actually trust him when he asks you for stuff. 
you remember with, with Abraham? Abraham, th- th- this is, see, if you think about this with a carnal mind, you're going to get upset right now. But if you actually understand the nature of God, you start seeing the sense of it. God comes to Abraham after Abraham was almost 100 years old and says, hey, you're going to have a son. Anyone seen any 100-year-old dudes walking around lately? That ain't good. I mean, and then put that into the context of you're going to be a daddy. It's like, man, come on, man. He can barely get dressed. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? And then baby mama over, over in the tent starts laughing at God, and God's like, no, I'm serious. Baby mama to be starts laughing. Because she's like, man, I'm old. I've been through the stages of life. That's over. That ain't happening. And God's like, listen, you don't understand. I can do whatever I want. Those that have covenant with me are above the rules. Not the rules of God, but they're against the, the God can that's what that's look, that's the whole reason why Jesus walked on water. He wants to get your mind out of your little box. So that you start to understand that his ways are higher than ours and that he's not limited by your limitations and your fears. Look, Jesus pulled a coin a gold coin out of a fish's mouth for goodness sakes to pay taxes. He didn't rebuke Peter. Peter, you should have been putting away for your taxes. He's like, yeah, just go grab that fish out of the water. There's going to be a gold coin in it. Epic. Pay mine too. Awesome. (laughs) You understand God's not as stressed about money as you are, but he is stressed about your heart. And that's why he doesn't come to you with casualness in this one area. He comes to you and asks you for the precious, for the precious thing that you're holding on to. Because it's amazing how we shift our position from trusting in God in an instant to trusting in our bank account into trusting in our job and into trusting our boss and into trusting, oh, well, this thing is going to happen for me or that thing's going to, oh, my house is this paid off or this is my car and I'm good. We go from instantly trusting in God to like, look at what I've got. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar? You guys remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar? He wasn't even a, he wasn't even a Hebrew king. He was a pagan king. He was one of the, one of the Babylonians. He stood up on the, on the palisade, like the, the patio porch of his house, his palace over the whole city. And this is what he said. Look at all this that I've created with my own hands. Like admiring. I mean, it was that they say that the Babylonian Hanging Gardens were one of the seven wonders, of, one of the eighth wonder of the world. They say that it was a phenomenal city. It was amazing. It's all been destroyed. But God literally audibly speaks out of heaven and says, you've said this in your pride. And God literally judges him and he becomes a madman for seven years. See, God isn't actually into people thinking they're that that great. He's into being great. And so when we assume a posture of humility, and even to the point of servitude, it's not that you lose your sonship, but it's actually the posture. It's not the identity, it's the posture of like, God, I need to humble myself and I'm going to honor you. God honors you back. And when God honors you, it's better than any honoring that you've ever given God. Like, think of the most wealthy person on the planet right now, and if you were to buy them a coffee, and they turned around and buy, bought you like a, they, they went and bought you like a $20 million home up in Laguna, or they turned around and bought you like a brand new Ferrari, right? Coffee, massive upgrade. And it's funny how sometimes we're looking at ourselves going, oh man, I can't buy God a coffee. He's like, I just want you to buy me a flipping coffee. And you're like... But God, I need you to do all these things for me. Yeah, buy me the coffee. Do you remember the story of the loaves and the fishes? 
where the little boy had a lunch. Now, it's interesting to me that God always needs something to work with. He told Peter to catch a fish. And in the fish, there was a, I believe there's a crook. Because look, there ain't no goldfish swimming around trying to swallow a piece of gold. You ever seen a fish do that? You ever seen a fish just like, yeah, I'm going to swallow a gold coin today. That's not normal. He had Peter catch a fish, and in the fish, there was a creative miracle of a gold coin that took care of a problem. He asked a little boy, well, Andrew actually did his disciple, asked the little boy to give up his lunch, and his lunch was given to Jesus. Then Jesus lifted it up, and he blessed it, and then everyone got fed, probably 20,000 people. God always needs something to work with, because even God operates a lot of the time within the parameters of our possibilities. But then he works over and above them. He just needs something to work with. Okay, so that's why, that's why God made everything with his mouth, but with Adam, he actually made a piece of clay with his hands. He needed something to work with. And then he breathed in it, and look, here we are today. So giving is actually giving God something to work with. It's not losing. We need to get rid of that mentality where we believe that when we give God something, we've just deducted something from our life. That is programming. You've been raised in the system of the world that if you give someone, you know, standing outside Walmart a $100 bill, you've just lost $100. That is how the world thinks. And to a lot of an extent, that's how you've been programmed. And that's why I love, I actually did a little live Facebook thing this morning. I love that scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world any longer, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the washing of the word. Your mind constantly needs to be shifted. And my mind constantly needs to be shifted because isn't it amazing how we just shift into our own reasoning at the drop of a hat, even though we know a lot of this stuff. I don't care how long you've been walking with God, it's easy just to shift back into this mentality where it's like, I just need to keep this one thing. Dude, can you, look, Elisha, the prophet, was a savage he was savage. He walks up on a widow woman that's dying, and her son it looks, looks like a skeleton with bones covering him. He walks up on them. God sent them, and he's like, she's like, their house is all probably empty because they sold everything they had to live. And she's sitting there with one small little round of dough, and she's kneading it, and she's getting ready to make the last little patty cakes so that her and her son can have their last supper and blow out. Die. Elisha just walks up. He's like, I'll take that. Sorry, Elijah. Elijah walks up and he goes, oh, give me that. Give me some. Make me one too. That is savage. This guy is supposed to be a man of God. How dare he take from a widow? He's supposed to be blessing a widow. See, isn't it amazing how we form our little opinions? And we, and we, and we start to like, you know, build our prejudices towards actually what God wants to do. The second you believe you know how it's supposed to work, you are 100% wrong. You actually need to sit and listen and let God lead you on every single scenario. And nine times out of ten, God will always ask you for the thing you don't want to give. And I apologize for letting you know that, and you might even get upset with me for saying that, but it's the truth. God would never do it if he wouldn't be prepared to do it himself, and he gave Jesus, and I guarantee you the Father didn't want to give Jesus. And I guarantee you that Jesus, by proof, you can see it in Gethsemane, Jesus didn't want to give himself up either, but he did it because it was the right thing to do. When God talks about offering, he gives the, the offering he gave exceeded every offering you've ever given put together. God has a culture of giving. But 
I want, to understand, I want you to understand this. God's culture of giving doesn't look like the world's culture of giving. God actually does give to get. Now, that might shock you a little bit, but actually it's true. Remember, when Noah comes out of the ark, God looks at, the, looks at him and he's like, as long as the earth remains, so shall seed time and harvest. He also said it at the beginning in, in, in Genesis. Every seed shall bear its own kind, remember? And then Noah comes out of, the, out of the ark and he's like, as long as the earth remains, so shall seed time and harvest. And isn't it amazing how our carnal mind will put that down to orange seed equals orange tree. What about Jesus? For God so loved the world... This is the ultimate seed time and harvest scripture. John 3, 16. Right. For God so loved and that his response was to give. Right. So that God could get a harvest. Right. God sent, in John three sixteen. God sent his only son. And then it goes on in the scriptures to say that Jesus became the firstborn of many brothers. So hang on a minute. He sends his only son and Jesus comes back the firstborn of many now. Yeah. Harvest. Seed gives, harvest. God gave to get. See, that just messing with some of you right now. Oh, you're not supposed to give with agendas. Well, you go tell that to God. <laughs> you, you tell that to God. God is into agendas. Everything that God does is planned. Now, sometimes our personal agenda is a little warped, and sometimes our agendas and our perspective is wrong. That's where we can't play God. We need to play trusting son, trusting daughter. But we need to give, and that's where a relationship with Holy Ghost comes in, where, like, you know, look, I'll be honest with you. There have been some times where God's actually told me to give very large sums of money that were not available funds for just anybody. They were stuff I really needed or stuff I really wanted. I'm talking, like, four- and five-digit numbers. This has happened so many times that I just can't get away from it anymore. Because you see, if you really truly have given God your life, you've given him your bank account. And you've given him your envelope underneath your pillow and underneath your mattress. Okay? And God's been like, hey, see that? I want it. And you're like, I don't want to give that to you. He's like, I want it. Now, God's not trying to take something away from me. Please understand this. God has never once tried to take something away from me. But fear has always told me that I'm losing. Every time. Oh, I, I'm going to not be able to do this. Or I'm not going to be able to take care of that. Or I'm not going to be able to do this. But fear always will contend very powerfully when breakthrough's on the other side of a seed. Right? So we actually have to determine to make a decision that when God starts to ask us for something, we don't say no right away. Even though inside of you, you're saying no. And it hurts. Okay, because I can tell you there have been times in my life where God's asked me to give stuff and it, like he's even asked me to give stuff to people that have had a lot more money than me and I, didn't, and I was giving everything I had, every dollar. And that's blowing, dude. To my mind, that's messed up. Why would you, God, in all your heavenly justice, ask me to give something to someone that's way more set up than me? And I'm, this is the last amount of savings I've got. Why would you do that? Because God understands seed time and harvest. He understands obedience and submission so that he can bless it. Okay, so let's keep going because I have a few more scriptures to get into right now. Leviticus 23. I just need it. 
We're going to be giving today our first fruits. But we're not just going to give God something that's a token gesture. See, we're in a culture that tips at the end of a restaurant meal. It's like, hey, thanks for that, you know, great steak and that, you know, service and everything. Here's your 20%. Or, you know, I didn't really like the way you forgot us for half an hour. Here's your 12. Right? And isn't it funny how we start doing that with God the minute he asks us for something? Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to give you quite that amount. I felt it in my heart, but I'm just going to pray about it. Who are you going to pray to? God, just talk to you. (laughs) I need to pray about that. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, we can really be quite insane sometimes the way we navigate. Okay, so where was I? Leviticus. Leviticus 23. I just want to show you that this is completely outside of the law of Moses, and it's 100% in the law of relationship. Okay. So Leviticus 23, and I'm going to read from verse 10. Actually, verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheave of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. That's like a bundle of, of grain, okay? Which represents, in our time, it represents money. It represents giving, okay? Because that's, that's the currency they kind of had back then. They were farmers for the most part. They were into produce and stuff. That's why God said you're coming into the land of milk and honey, not ATMs and drive throughs Do you get what I'm saying? Okay. So... He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf, and on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day, when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. So God was establishing this thing where it's like, look, just so everyone understands Jewish culture, this was not a one-time deal. Whenever a Jewish person would come into the temple, none of them would ever come without a gift for God. Does everybody understand that? No one would ever come into their version of church or the synagogue without a gift for God, without an offering to please him. Because no one enlists in an army without wanting to please the one who enlisted them. Does this make sense? So they'd always come in. But at the beginning of a season, they would do this first fruits thing. Now, I want to I start to say this. This was God speaking future tense about, to Moses about when they were going to come into the promised land. Now, I want to say this. This is something that I've personally done. Have, have any of you known that, like, certain times where it's like, God, I'm here, but I need to be here. I'm earning this much, but I need to be earning this much. I've got this debt, but I need to be out of debt, right? Have you ever had that before? What I've personally done, both in my tithe and in first fruits, is I've actually started looking at where I want to be. So let's just say, let's just, let's just make this real simple. Let's just say um, whatever the figure is that I need to be making, I calculate 10% if I'm, I'm on my tithing, right? So I'm earning X amount, but I want to be, let's say, earning double that amount. I calculate 10% on what double that amount is, and I start tithing towards the amount that I'm wanting from God. And so I start prophesying with my tithing to God of what he's going to do for me. Because it's not just a dictational relationship where God's like, this is what you have, this is all you can have. God actually really respects hunger. And he respects a passionate pursuit of his promises. God's not stingy. But it's, it's, it's this kind of giving that gets his attention. This is what we live by. I, we've watched, honestly, in my lifetime, I've seen tens, if not hundreds of people get ridiculous breakthrough in this area. 
And those of you that have been around long enough, you'll know that when people normally partner with the first fruits, crazy breakthrough happens. We've seen ridiculous stories, right? Too many to list, it's, it's insane. People getting doubled their pay packets, people getting, you know, one person recently got given 10% of his entire company that he worked for. It's just amazing stuff. Totally amazing. So let's go to the next scripture. I want to race through a couple of scriptures. That don't, I'm not going to take too much more time. We're going to give to the Lord this morning, this evening, this afternoon. Man, it just keeps getting me. Okay, come with me, please, back to uh, Exodus. Exodus chapter 23. We're in 23 again. See, this is, a, this is an act of intimacy. If you don't want to be intimate with God today, then, and you think that I'm trying to manipulate you, please just keep your wallet closed, keep your purse closed. This is not me trying to get anything from you. It's me trying to, you, to get you to touch God in such a way that your life begins to change. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do here. And if, if you've got mistrust towards what we're saying, please don't feel any obligation. None at all. It won't affect my life at all. This is about you affecting yours. Okay? So, verse 19. The first, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You have to bring it to the house of God. You know, it, there's certain things where it's like, well, I decided to do this, I decided to do this. But there's actually certain things where you have to do it the way God wants. And God has it where we bring our tithe, my wife and I are the same, we bring it to the house of God. And we put it before God and we start to say, God, I thank you for 2017, but this year in 2018 I'm asking for more. See, it's both a celebration and also a prophetic decree at the same time. God, I thank you for preserving me in 2017. I thank you for fighting battles for me. Some of them aren't there yet, but I trust you. Now I'm prophesying what you're going to do with my giving. I trust you and I look to you and I'm sowing to you, God, because I'm looking for greater things than I saw in the last year. I'm thankful, but I'm still expectant. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's go to the next one. Um, Proverbs 23. We've got a whole bunch of 23s. 23, 3, 3. See, there's a lot of people that walk in poverty because they refuse to accept this particular aspect of God's nature. God is a covenant-making God, and in any covenant, there's always an exchange. God paid the price, but he asks us to covenant to it. Why would God give us something and not expect everything from us on the level of salvation at the cross? God expects everything from us. Matter of fact, God expects more from us now than the people that came before Jesus. That's why the veil was torn in two. Now we're, we're invited into the Holy of Holies, into greater levels of relationship, and with that comes greater levels of intimate consecration. And intimate consecration is going to demand honorariums to God. We honor you, God, and we honor you with more than just our words. It's got to go beyond our words. Well, I love Jesus, and I tell him every day. Okay. Do you give the stuff he asks for, or do you not even listen to that? It's amazing how we, oh, God, you need to help me. You need to help me. Yeah. What have you got in your hand? Come on, widow woman. What have you got in your hand? Do you notice that when God asks stuff, especially when we're in trouble, it's actually unfair? Yeah, this is definitely not one of them popular messages, but this is the message that's going to get you breakthrough. Whenever I've been in trouble, this, you'll, my wife will tell you this is true. Even before we were single, whenever I've been in trouble in my life, over and above tithing, I get any seed I can, 
and I start sowing it to God like crazy because what I have in my hand is going to burn up and it's going to fade away. But what I can put in God's hands, he can take it like the little boy's lunch or the, the fish that has the coin in it or, or the, the widow woman's dough and God can start to multiply it. Right? Hey, lady, go get every jar you possibly can. Elisha, this is, this is Elisha now. Go get every jar. Go ask all your neighbors for as many jars as you can and start pouring that one jar of oil out. And then go sell it. It's going to take care of all your bills. You need one miracle from God, but in order to get the kind of miracle that you'll talk about for the rest of your life and that will break the lies and the grip of the enemy, you've got to give God something to work with. The question is, is do you want to give God something little so you get a little breakthrough or do you want to give God something significant so you have a significant breakthrough? Little faith, little breakthrough. Big faith, big breakthrough. It's just how much you're willing to tell your fear you don't believe it. And it's just how much you're willing to look at your own resources and say, that's not enough, so I better give what I have to God so he can take it and multiply it. See, this is the kind of message where you either think that this is one of them preachers again, or you actually get a hold of God and you start seeing breakthroughs for yourself. I've seen too many people do this now, and I've seen too many breakthroughs come as a result to believe any other way. This stuff works. And it was instituted by God before the law was ever given. You guys, remember, remember the priest Melchizedek? You ever heard of him? The Bible talks about Melchizedek, and Abraham actually fought wars. He had a small army. He had, he, Abraham was definitely set up. He had a small army, and he went down and fought in the plains of Sodom. And he won, and the Bible says that he met this man, this priest called Melchizedek, who had no mother and father, no beginning and no end. Hello? He's meeting with God. He's having an encounter with God before Jesus comes. Come on, Abraham had some pretty epic encounters. And what did he do? Does any, can anyone tell me what he did after he took the plunder of war? He gave a tenth of everything he got. Do you understand that everything that God does is covenant related? And for a covenant to be cut, there is a price that's made. Right, God's paid his price. We now need to answer. And it's a continual act of submission. It's not a one-time deal. It's not a one-time deal. It's a continual. Yes. I die daily to my own ability to provide for myself. I die daily to trusting in my own resources. I die, God, and I'm going to lay down, and I'm going to roll over, and you're going to be God. Right. See, I tell people this. If your giving doesn't make you, if your giving to God doesn't make you a little bit scared, then you're not giving properly. <laughs> now, you might think that's manipulative. Anytime you think I'm being manipulative, just close your wallet, put it back in your pants, and walk out of here and don't give a cent doesn't affect me at all. I'm trying to get you to touch God. You know, it's like, oh, ask Holy Spirit how much I should give. Should I give the 200 or should I give the 1,000? Oh, no, it's probably the 200. God wouldn't ask anything of me that would hurt me. Do you get what I'm saying? God will always push you because as much faith as you can step out into is the, as much miracle power as you'll activate in God's hands. It's a fact, man. It's a fact. Check this out. You know the little boy that gave his lunch, his loaves and fishes? I'm going to wrap up here in a second. Do you know there was 12 baskets of bread and fishes left after that meal? After 20,000 people ate, there was 12 baskets left. Who do you think took home the loaves and the fishes? Has anyone ever asked that question? I th- I'm going to think that the little boy took a, a whole bunch home. Maybe not all of it, but he probably took a bunch home. He got a harvest. What you give to Jesus 
always, always multiplies. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. In other words, you have two choices. You have uh, seeds in your hand. You can grind them up and make a loaf of bread. Or you can put them in the ground and let them detach from you. And they grow and bear a harvest that never ends. If I held an apple in front of you right now and said, what is the potential here? You could either say lunch or generations of orchards. Because a seed inside, an, there's multiple seeds inside an apple, and if an apple falls into the ground and it begins to sprout, well then over time, you have multiple apple trees, and then beyond that, you have multiple orchards. Is anyone following me here? One seed can turn into a breakthrough that changes your forever. Like, I, I've told you this before, I got my green card in two weeks. That is not normal. There's people we know that have had taken two and a half years to get a green card for this country. It's very hard. I, I sowed a significant seed that made me cringe from ear to ear. And not like this, the other way. Okay. <laughs> I was cringing and I knew it was God, but everything inside it was like goosebumps, want to throw up, want to explode, want to scream all at the same time. Yeah, that God will do that to you. Hello, Abraham, the one that, that fought, Melchizedek, uh, fought in the plains of Sodom and met Melchizedek. Yeah, the same one that had God show up and say, hey, you're going to have a son. Yeah, now God shows up and says, I want you to give me the thing I promised you. Run up the mountain. I mean, you're going to sacrifice him. The same God. Sometimes you get right to the thing you want and then God's like, give it up. And God's got zero emotion in it. Same Jesus you worship. Okay. And, and, and God took him right to the point when the knife was in the air and the angel held his hand and said, no, 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 this was a test. Because you were willing to give your son. I just wanted to check. Because I want to give mine. Do you understand? See, Jesus came because a man was willing to give up his son in obedience to God. Now, to, to me, that logic's crazy. You see? God doesn't make sense to you. Stop trying to reason and make sense of what God asks. And just start saying, yes, God. I don't want to do it, but Yes. You see, sometimes we're so busy. It's like, isn't it amazing how we're busy asking God for all the things we want? But then we have this like passive aggressive thing where we purposely won't ask God that one area because we don't want to hear the answer. Or we're afraid what he'll answer. God, can I have that? God, can I have that? Wrong question. God, what do you want? And we're afraid to ask God, what do you want? Because we don't want to give up control because truly he's not Lord yet. Giving on this level makes him Lord. It's not my ability, God, it's yours. I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to bring you an offering that you're worthy of. This is just, this book from beginning to end is all about seed times and harvests. You can look, you can look at it right from the beginning all the way through. Yeah. Everything that Jesus did right through to the book of Revelation, everything seed time and harvest. And this is the language of heaven. Yeah. You guys ready to give to God? I want you, while, we, while I'm talking in this, in this last section, I want, you to, I want you to really start to do something in your heart. Because it's more than just an act of obedience to do something that sometimes is painful to do. You have to, you've got to remember that God loves a joyful giver. He doesn't like a remorseful giver. Oh, I'm just so grieving. I'm just going to put my grave clothes on, Jesus, and bring you this offering and be a really good martyr. No, you actually have to come joyfully to the Lord. This hurts God. This is everything. I'm bringing you everything. See, Mary Magdalene, they say it was Mary Magdalene, but Mary that was at the feet of Jesus where she broke the alabaster box and she wept over her tears. She was giving him something of a 12 months worth of income and wiping and anointing his feet. 
Those tears were tears of laying her life down too. It, we, need to, we need to come back to the basics. Do you get what I'm saying? I want us to ask ourselves this question. God, what I want from you this year. Because remember that when God gives, God has an assignment on his seed. When God wants apples, he doesn't sow orange seeds. God, when he sows, he sows intentionally. Now, we, can't, we don't know everything we need to ask for because that, we're not God, but there's things that we know we really need. God, I'm sowing for 2018 that you would bless my year. I'm sowing for that income. God, I'm sowing for that spouse. Maybe it's the redemption of a spouse. Maybe it's the spouse you haven't had yet. Maybe it's, maybe it's God having that breakthrough moment in your life. Maybe it's that one area of your life that you just need to have broken off of you that's been dysfunctional and it's been hurting your life. God, I'm going to bring this to you and I'm going to ask you to breathe on it. Because when it, it's, it, while it's in my hand, it's got a limited lifespan. But the second I put it out of my hand and I put it into your hand, God, I know that not only can you redeem it, but you can multiply it far more than I could have ever done. It's like taking a dollar and putting it on the stock market, taking a dollar and buying Bitcoin, whatever you want to do, and then taking that same dollar and putting it in the hands of God. Who honestly do you think is going to give you the better return? You can't compete with the monetary economy of heaven. Nothing on earth can do that. You, if you've got money, give it to God, which goes against human reasoning. Exactly. Someone getting something today? These are the messages that maybe make us uncomfortable, and that's good. We need to be uncomfortable. But they remind us of the ways of God. And when we're reminded of the ways of God, we're encouraged to actually walk in his ways. And when we walk in his ways, that's where the blessing is. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. So, so I'm, I'm going I'm to get ready to close up here in a second. But I want to just rem- remind you that we aren't our own. We've been bought with a price. And we've been bought with a price so that we may please the one that inscripted us. So let's just stand to our feet for a second. Before we do any giving, if we could just have the buckets at the front and if someone um, could just grab the envelopes. We're going to give to God right now. We're going to give to God sacrificially. Giving is an extension of worship. Giving is a response to the presence and the person and the awesomeness of God so that God will come and meet all our needs. God is our provider. He's our protector. He's our deliverer. He's the one that brings the promises to us. And it reminds not only ourselves, but it reminds God of the covenant. That's the whole reason. Remember when Jesus was in his last day of his life? It was not the last day. It was the day before. He was in the upper room. And he was actually getting ready to have communion. And he said, when you come together, do this in remembrance of me. And that actually has been a little bit misconstrued. It was really do this to remember this covenant. And giving to God each week with our tithes and our offerings and with our first fruits is a remembrance of the awesomeness of God. And we start to come back to a place where it's like, God, I need you this year. My job's not my source. My home's not my source. My car, my bank account's not my source. My friends aren't my source, God. You're my source and I need you. And I just want to, I want to bring something that hurts me a little bit that's valuable to show you that I trust you and that my future, 2018, is in your hands.
And I choose to honour this covenant today, God. And as you do, just, just give it to Him. Have a moment with God. Like, just let that presence fall. Come on, let's just lift up our hands for a second. Let's give Him the presence of God. Come on, just let His presence just begin to fall on you.